Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marcia Brownlee, and we are joined today by co-host Brianne Laro. Hi, Brianne. Hi, Marcia. Thank you so much for joining us as co-host for these next few episodes. I'm, I'm excited to get to spend some time with you. Me too. I'm so excited for our guest today. Yes, me too. And I'm going to in- introduce her shortly, but can you give our listeners a quick reminder of who you are? Yes, uh, my name is Brianne Laro. I'm one of the Artemis leaders from Hawaii, which is uh, where I was born and raised. And from a very young age, I grew up following my dad hunting, fishing, diving, um, and that's a way that I've connected to my family, um, my heritage, um, and working conservation. So very excited for this conversation. Awesome. And listeners, if you haven't listened to the podcast that we did with Brianne already, go back and take a listen to it. It's one of, it's a beautiful conversation and we did it in February and it's called Diving for Taco and the Value of Community Knowledge. Um, so go back and, and listen to Brianne. Um, and then come back and listen to us or listen to us and then go back and listen, whatever, just listen to them both. Um, our guest today is Kelsey Albert. Hi, Kelsey. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure's all mine. Really stoked to be here. And we're going to dive right in with one of our warm-up questions. What's your go-to um, aim to impress fish recipe? Well, um, I'm a big fan of raw fish. Um, I especially love poke. Anything with sashimi. Um, I think probably one of my favorite fish to spear, like anywhere in the world, is a white sea bass found in Mm -hmm. California. And I love making poke out of it. I just, I I love it better than cooked fish. So usually when I have guests over, I, if I have the right species to make poke or something raw and fresh, I try to go for that. Otherwise, I love smoked fish. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Well, sure. I am, um, well, my, my career has been healthcare and medicine and science. Um, I am a doctor of chiropractic. I hold an EMT license. I have clinical research experience as a stem cell researcher and cancer researcher. Basically, I'm a big nerd, and <laughs> but I do get out of the laboratory and the clinic, and I like to go. And whenever I'm not working, I'm basically outdoors, either hunting or fishing. So um, I do get a little sun on my skin a bit more than other nerds. But yeah, <laughs> uh, medicine and science are definitely my passions. It's amazing. I, when we were setting up this uh, conversation, I was looking over your biography and just kind of like jaw dropped on the floor, wondering how you accomplish everything um, mm-hmm. and, and engage in your interest at such a high level. And then you talked about scheduling this at like 10 PM at night. <laughs> and I was like, that's how she does it. Yeah. <laughs> she has, I, uh, she has long days, very long days. And I, and as much as I like sleeping, I don't sleep much. 
um, I just have a very active mind and a very active life. And there's just so much I want to do that sometimes it's just really no time for sleep. Mm-hmm. And sometimes my most productive times are at night, you know, when I can manage everything and settle and process. And then all of a sudden I get more inspiration in the middle of the night. And that's just how my brain works, I guess. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. <laughs> I can, can you tell us how you got, well, I'm, so I'm curious about a lot of things um, and you're here to dive into specifically a conversation about spear fishing, which I'm excited, but you also mentioned that you hunt. Um, and I'm curious if you can tell us just a little bit about your journey with both hunting and spearfishing, how you got started and what it's been like. Sure, absolutely. Um, I've always been a water baby. Um, I grew up by the ocean. Um, so I grew up in a Navy household. My mom was Navy for 32 years. So we traveled a lot and growing up on the riverfront and always going to the Atlantic Ocean, Outer Banks, North Carolina, Newport Beach, California, Fishing and swimming were huge parts of my childhood and also hunting. So spearfishing was kind of the perfect culmination of all of those passions, the love of being in the water and the love of harvesting my own food. So it kind of came to me naturally when I was in my teens. And then again, after graduate school, where I really had more time to, you know, delve into it and become, you know, more proficient at it. And it was such a great way to feed myself as a poor graduate student (laughs) to like, you know, be able to just cruise into the ocean without a boat and shoot dinner and survive that way instead of eating only ramen like a lot of poor college kids do. I actually ate a pretty healthy fish-based diet. And Kelsey, I had a question for you. Could you explain for uh, the listeners like the crossover between hunting and spearfishing uh, similarities between the two? Sure. Um, So hunting, as in like, you know, land-based hunting, be it waterfowl or upland game birds or big game hunting, all require a lot of research of the species you intend to harvest. They require, in many places in the world, that you get a hunting license which may or may not include a shooting proficiency test. Like in Europe, it's actually extremely hard to get a hunting license and they put you through basically school. And you have to be able to demonstrate that you are a good marksman before you're even allowed to shoot an animal. So, you know, in America, things are a bit different, but the kind of care that I take to make sure that I'm a good hunter in terms of respect for the animal, making sure I am a good shot And that I also know how to take care of the meat, you know, as a sign of not only respect to the animal and to honor the catch, but also, you know, for the food quality for my family and myself. So actually spearfishing and hunting uh, can both be extremely selective. It's a great way to eat organic free range food that's not pumped full of hormones, didn't lead a sad life stuck in a farm and not able to move. So they're just sustainability choices too. So there's definitely a lot of ethos and ethics crossover between like land hunting and spearfishing for sure. Can you, so many of our listeners and myself included um, Mm -hmm. have never spearfished and are um, just beginning to delve into uh, 
what what that entails. Can you walk us through it from sort of beginning to end? Absolutely. Um, if anyone is familiar in your audience with like say archery hunting or just simply shooting a deer, um, spearfishing just involves a few extra steps. It involves a bit of underwater fitness, comfort in an aqueous environment, um, a lot of spearfishing around the world is done without scuba. In fact, many places outside of the United States, you are definitely not allowed to use scuba if you intend to spearfish. And there's definitely more, I would say, more safety concerns uh, for spearfishing. It is a high-risk sport. Um, so there's additional safety training that does go into it. And I think that anybody who wants to get into spearfishing, my first and top recommendation is first take a free diving safety class, learn the basics of how to hold your breath, how to dive safely, how to rescue a buddy, all kinds of um, important foundation methods for just being comfortable in the water and then make the next step to picking up a spear gun or a pole spear and going from there. And then once you have the equipment, then you can decide, okay, well, I would like to select this kind of fish because I like the way it tastes. So if that's say, for example, a halibut, go ahead and research where that, where you might find halibut, how you can hunt them and then what the regulations are and then go for it. Definitely find a buddy though. It's better to dive with a buddy when you're free diving. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How, it seems like, so halibut, right, they can, they can be small, they can be large, they come in all different sizes. What is it like pulling a fish like that up to the surface? Well, halibut are actually, halibut are actually pretty easy, quite mm -hmm. honestly. They're not, they're not a, uh, a high energy fish. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, uh, obviously, like a big Pacific halibut or a big Atlantic halibut and, you know, like from Norway would have a bit more power, but honestly, compared to like a tuna, like spearfishing a tuna, it's a whole different level. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I would say some of the meanest fish I've ever tangled with in spearfishing are, I would say large snappers, like pargo snappers, kubera snappers. Um, those things are extremely aggressive and they fight a lot. Uh, amberjacks actually can, can be quite a fight to tangle with also but mm -hmm. tuna anything with red meat um mm -hmm. the reason the meat is red is because it's rich in oxygen it's rich in blood cells so the fish has a lot more endurance than say a white flesh fish like a halibut but um i'm a tiny woman i'm a i'm an athletic build at 130 pounds and I'm maybe five foot four if I'm well hydrated when I first wake <laughs> up in the morning. Um, so I'm a tiny woman. So for me to take on a fish that's more than my size, it requires a lot of knowledge, a lot of practice, a lot of technique and the right equipment. But I've pulled up tuna larger than myself before. And it can be done by myself, of course, but it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes the skills to be able to pull up a large aggressive fish like that can take many years of training and uh and a lot of attention to detail and safety for sure could could you talk to us about that 
journey that you've had with spearfishing, you mentioned it's not something that happens um, overnight. It takes time. So what does that look like for you? Well, it started off when I was little and was curious about how to catch fish in the local streams. And so I would take like a frog gig and my mother's broomstick and I would start I would try to like stab things in the stream. I, would, I really wanted to get like eels and catfish and stuff like that. And so that was like kind of the basis when I was young. But then when I got a bit older, I started re recognizing, oh, I can do this properly with like <laughs> a spear gun and stuff. So the, the best way I can describe my journey is that I'm, I'm a woman of science and mythology. Mm. So that, that means I, I will approach something from uh, methodically. That's the word I'm looking for, methodically. So I will approach it in steps like, all right, let me build a solid foundation first. So I took free diving classes. I made sure that I could competently do it. And then I learned about the spear gun safety. I learned about how to rig my own equipment. Uh, there's a lot of women that get into hunting sports because their boyfriends kind of rope them into it or sometimes even force them into it. You know, I just, but I kind of stumbled into that on my own, like out of, out of necessity to feed myself without having to go to the grocery store all the time and also for physical fitness. So um, along that journey, you <laughs> Like in any sport or profession, you can seek mentorship, you can seek dive clubs, you can seek online tutorials. People nowadays have way more resources than I did when I first started. When I first started spearfishing, we had emails. We didn't, and maybe some internet forums. We didn't have the explosion of social media with all this information out there now. It just wasn't available when I first started. So. I would say people getting into it now will have a much easier time than I did. And um, and on a gender related issue, I would say that it's definitely a lot easier now for women to get into the sport of spearfishing. Uh, there's so many more opportunities, so much more knowledge out there that they don't have to rely upon, you know, some exclusive, you know, male dominated dive club to allow them in to have access to this information. No, you can, you can do a YouTube search on anything you want to know in spearfishing now and just go do it. Mm -hmm. um, when I started, it was like, it was still the boys club. And when I mean boys club, I mean, literally, I was the only woman in the spearfishing club I reached out to in Los Angeles for a long time, many years. And I faced a lot of discrimination, sexism, a lot of pushback, a lot of, oh, you, you're a little girl, you can't do this. And just so much, you know, so many walls put in front of me of why I couldn't do it just because I'm a girl. <laughs> and also having access to boats when I first started, like, you know, it's just kind of an unspoken barrier for women to really expand their skill set, you know, if if you have a club full of guys and they all have boats and you don't, you're gonna have a hard time getting on those boats because, well, there's jealous wives, there's jealous girlfriends, mm. and a lot of guys just 
you know, they just want to hang out with the boys on the weekend. They don't want to necessarily invite the girl unless, as you ladies know, unless the girl's offering something. <laughs> uh, it's just the way of the world. So I decided to remove the power from them. And I got my own kayaks. I got my own jet skis and I went out and just did it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, I do advocate free diving safety and buddy diving, but honestly, the only way for me to really learn and progress in spearfishing when I came through was to just not really expect anyone to ever be there for me. And so I would kayak alone. I shot a lot of great fish off my kayak solo. I broke four world records that way. <laughs> off your kayak? Oh, that's amazing. Off my, I just broke one this year off my kayak just alone i i got a little jet ski because you know what i could launch it myself with my truck and i didn't need anybody's help with the launch ramp and you know what i can read a gps i can find my own spots mm-hmm. yeah i just i just completely removed the power from needing anybody or any exclusive dive club that treated me like crap but nowadays i think women just have a much much easier time <laughs> for sure it sounds so. like you also thought out of the box a little bit as far as what you needed to have in order to do what you wanted to do. Because I, I well, can't, absolutely. yeah, like I can't imagine many people would think that they could do with that from a kayak. Not many. Um, I don't recommend kayak diving everywhere in the world, but uh, if, if you're creative and you have a mind for safety and reading the ocean and really it does involve taking risks, but calculated risks. Mm. So it involves a lot of being an intelligent water woman and, you know, doing a lot of research on what you might be in for, any hazards, any risks, especially if you're going to do it alone. But I figure, you know what, there's, there's guys out there that do solo hunts in the Arctic for caribou. Why can't I? I mean, I can read a book and I can book a flight. So what's the problem? Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of view spearfishing the same way. I was, you know, I think a lot of women, if they just give themselves permission to just go for it, stop waiting for a guy to drag you into it, make some money, buy your own boat, buy your own truck, learn how to do these things on your own. There's no reason you can't. So I- yeah, I think that's the most important message. There is no reason why you can't. No, there's no reason why a woman can't do exactly what a man can do. There's no reason. Can you tell us a story of uh, a memorable hunt in the water? Oh, yes. I had an amazing one this year. And what I would like for everybody to understand about spearfishing is that, or at least from my point of view, is that I might take a gun with me to go hunting, but I don't necessarily need to shoot something. Right. So the, the, the experience that I have when I'm out diving, um, and there's a fish I love to hunt, I think I mentioned earlier, the white sea bass. Mm-hmm. Many times I will approach hunting that fish alone um, because it just gives me such a peace of mind away from my you know, very serious and often stressful career. Um, you know, I've, as an EMT, I've seen a lot of bad things. I've seen a lot of trauma. I've seen a lot of 
you know, darkness of humanity. So when I'm out there in the kelp bed and it's just me and I see the way the sunlight is coming through those beautiful kelp forests and it's almost like beams of golden amber light piercing this like beautiful jade green water and I can hear the fish they this fish makes like a croaking sound and they just start croaking like a chorus of frogs in the springtime and it just it's like a such a reset a reset button for my soul it just makes me feel like I'm just an integral part of nature and all the stresses that I had above the surface are completely irrelevant and on one dive I had this year for sea bass, I approached uh, a school of them that were kind of, they were kind of setting up in the kelp bed just as the sun was setting as, as the big females like to do. And they just, they start croaking and calling each other to join the party. And I had this one female, she was about 50 to 60 inches long, just a beautiful, huge fish at least 55 pounds and I just you know I had my gun and of course I was ready to take a fish but the way she approached me and just the whole mood of the hunt I could just you know I could have taken that fish if I wanted to but I didn't I just enjoyed a moment that quite frankly I don't think too many people get to experience Mm -hmm. because they're so focused on killing something that they forget to appreciate the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. And I just released that fish and without shooting and just, I will never forget that dive for the rest of my life. It was so beautiful, so. That sounds amazing. Uh, and you painted a really beautiful picture with your words. Thank you for sharing that with us. No problem. Yeah. Where, where uh, what ocean was that? This is the Pacific Ocean. Okay. And sea bass, they are, they range everywhere from Mexico to supposedly Alaska, but they do concentrate along the coast of California. Can you tell us a little bit about them as a, like what their habits are and like what you need, like uh, as a hunter, um, how do you track them? What what's their habitat? Oh. <laughs> well, some of my hunting techniques are a personal secret (laughs) (laughs) fair enough but uh i will say this they are a type of croaker Um, they're related to uh there are many similar fish around the world there's a species in australia they call uh mullaway or jew fish um and then there's a fish in south africa that they sometimes call a daga salmon but they're all members of the croaker family that's also related to a red drum like on the east coast or redfish mm-hmm. so these fish have they have this really unique vocalization you know they sing they they croak and so it's actually one of my favorite experiences because i like to just listen to them i like to hear their secret lives and you know mm-hmm. just kind of wonder about what they're thinking and what motivates them to be in certain areas and i've spent more than a decade patterning them and tracking their activities along the coast and coming up with my own little hunting technique and plan for every year. And as the 
water temperatures change, of course they move and things like that. But I would say that this particular fish, they're called ghosts for a reason. They can be notoriously hard to hunt or they can be dumb as a bag of rocks. <laughs> so kind of like deer hunting, when the bucks are in the rut, they're really stupid and they'll do really bold things. Mm-hmm. So sea bass, when they are very interested in breeding, they also do that. <laughs> but when they're not, they can be extremely hard to find. Um, and they often like areas with dirty visibility that can be dangerous for free diving. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff I do to keep myself safe, especially since I go alone most of the time. Mm-hmm. Just, um, yeah, so they're just a mysterious fish that has captivated my attention. And I've hunted all kinds of fish all over the world. But they, this one will forever be in my heart, the sea bass, as my favorite fish. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And Kelsey, I just, just kind of touching on what you mentioned, your, your story, and how you had that moment um, you know, you had that moment with the fish and you chose not, not to shoot. I, I just appreciate you sharing that so much just because I feel like you touched on um, just the beauty of spearfishing and how it's not all about what you harvest um, and what you take. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a balance. Um, so I, I appreciate you sharing that so much. Oh, no worries. I'm, you know, everyone has their different hunting ethics, and I'm glad you appreciate where I come from. I don't, you know, the whole idea of spearfishing is to be selective, but often um, what I'm seeing more and more these days, especially with with the explosion of social media, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, especially if people start seeking sponsorship and stuff like this, they get they get so focused on doing it for the gram and mm-hmm. they got to have their hero picture that they forget about the selectivity part. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I keep a low profile on social media. I have, you know, I'm pretty much just friends and family on mine. And, you know, I'm not one of these people that feels the need to put everything out there because I feel like a bit of privacy is a good thing not only for myself, but also in terms of respect for the resource Mm. and the populations of fish. If I were to, you know, post every living moment of my life as they occur, I don't think I'd be as successful because then you're, you're giving people information that, that you don't necessarily need to give out if you want to keep harvesting the way you do. You know what I mean? Kind of like in surfing, don't blow up the spot. (laughs) it's it's kind of like that because honestly if you were to tell oh dude i got this sea bass at such and such location on such and such day Mm -hmm. guess what the very next day you're gonna have 50 guys in your spot yeah and it will completely ruin it because they're not there for selectivity they're there because they gotta have their hero picture (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i that yeah oh i I was just gonna say that uh kind of secrecy um it's the same of when my uncle he's a fisherman of over 40 years and he references that how important it is to protect knowledge and why sometimes it could come off of like 
why are why are fishermen why are they so secretive and it's just because they're just trying to protect that resource so i agree with what you said there's a lot of people that don't share my hunting ethics out there you know they care more about impressing their friends than actually valuing their catch so you know and also out of respect for you know large breeder fish Mm. you know that population can be easily threatened if it was overpressured. So I think a good hunter is also a conservationist at heart. I think there's this misnomer that environmentalism and hunting are mutually exclusive. They're not, they're, they're actually the same thing. <laughs> and I don't understand why in this world now they're seen as, well, you're either this or that. And I'm like, well, actually most of the experienced hunters I know are the best conservationists Mm. they know what to do and they know how to care for those animals and they know you don't need to pull the trigger every single time Mm. yeah take what you need yep so well I'm glad to share that with you I'm happy you appreciate it yeah we I had a conversation in a couple podcasts back and we were talking about just the kinds of stories that we share um, mm-hmm. and how important it is to talk about those, those beautiful moments, um, in wild spaces, uh, where without the harvest and, and, and that you're right. I think, um, those of us who share that sense that, um, hunting and conservation are the same thing <laughs> and approach the, um, and approach it with that mindset understand that those moments um, are just as important, but we don't often tell those stories. And so, yeah, I echo what Brianne said and just appreciating that you chose to, to, to tell that story. Yeah, it's just, it's just gonna be forever in my heart. It's yeah. just, yeah. Thank you, ladies. Yeah, and Kelsey, is that something like you, you mentioned and referenced a lot, those ethics and um, it, it just, shines through by the way that you you talk about your experiences in the water um is that is that something that's developed over time um like were you just raised with that those sort of ethics yes i would i I definitely think it's a culmination of how i was raised and also personal experiences that definitely shaped that so you know, I, I grew up in a household where gardening and harvesting the land from game animals was encouraged and respect was something taught early on. Mm. And a lot of my family members um, that are hunters, they absolutely, you know, they believe very firmly in selectivity, especially with deer, mm-hmm. uh, because we, we ultimately care about the animals very much. But mm. I do have a streak in me that is definitely highly competitive and I have participated a lot in competition spearfishing. I have a lot of experience in that. And it almost would seem on the surface that competition spearfishing is not selective and is completely the opposite of what I'm speaking about. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I think that competition spearfishing too has also helped shape my views on selectivity very much and I'm grateful for that 
I've seen unsustainable competition practices and I've seen ones that are, you know, reasonably sustainable where people cared for their fish and didn't do it just because they wanted a $10 trophy. You know, it's, so I've, I've tried to experience the sport from all ends of the spectrum to get a complete view about what my, my personal hunting ethics should be. Mm. So, but that's just a decision each person has to make for their own. Um, I, I do think that with the way the world is going, I don't think competition spearfishing will be a thing that will continue in the way that it is right now for, for too many more years. Mm. I just don't think it's, it, it doesn't, it's not uh, palatable for the public many times. Um, and many tournaments, it's just the thing of the past in many places. And that's mm -hmm. okay. Things, change is good. Can you talk to us? Uh, because one of the one of the reasons you're joining us today um, is because you are on the USA um, spear, women's spearfishing team that's going to Worlds in September. Is that right? is it September? Yes. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear about what it's like experiencing at uh, competing at that level and well, what you like about it. And, and it sounds like what you might not like about it. I'm happy to share all. <laughs> so, um, so it was a great segue going from highly selective spearfishing to competition format. Mm -hmm. um, I am on the national team selection for the women's for team USA. And I'm really extremely honored and grateful because this is the second, the second time I've been on the national selection. The first time was 2018 for the world cup in Portugal, where we were the first USA team to bring home the gold medal as a team since like 1969. Wow. So we're really proud of that. Um, I will say that it involves a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of being able to have faith despite a lot of really extreme challenges, both internal and external, whether it's self-doubt or you get uh, microaggressions from <laughs> men in the sport, which is a very real thing. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of discrimination based on your gender it's there's all of these it's almost like death by a thousand needles but it's it's how you can persevere and it tests your resolve to be able to like you know be the american who shows up in a foreign country with species you're not familiar with and so it becomes a test too of okay how do i study these species from the other side of the planet, be able to perform well against people who live here. Yeah. And it's, it involves so much research, so much training, a lot of adaptability, I would say, definitely a lot of adaptability and planning. Like, for example, in Europe, for this world, it's going to be in Italy, which I'm really excited about. I always wanted to compete in Italy because as an American, we view Mediterranean tournaments as, you know, creme de la creme. It's, mm. 
it really is what separates girls from women. <laughs> it's just like, and the men from the boys. Uh, it's extremely deep diving. I, I would say that you should show up knowing how to hunt at 25 meters minimum, which huh. 25 to 35 meters, which in feet is really deep. Yeah, was <laughs> it like to, 75 feet, I think, about that? Yeah, but anywhere from 75 to 100 feet, and that's laying on the bottom. That's not going down and just coming right back up. It's right. laying on the bottom with your gun down, your face down, and laying there. <laughs> so it involves a whole lot of physical preparation, free dive training, years and years and years of prepping for something like this against people who they have a serious home field advantage big time. So I've been working hard preparing for this, both researching the species, hunting techniques, looking at any videos I can possibly find, talking with people who live there, and also showing up and scouting on my own and practicing shooting the species. And then for the American mind, we have this little funny thing where um, we have to convert standard to metric, <laughs> which can be really frustrating, okay? so. For example, in the States, many times we measure fish by inches, minimum size, or pounds. Well, here on my list for worlds, I'm reviewing that the minimum size fish has to be 300 grams for many species. And I'm like, grams. So I did something where I went literally to the grocery store and I looked, all right, convert pounds to grams. And I started buying meat fillets that were like 300 grams I'm like okay that that's what 300 grams feels like you know and then I then I started to go out shooting fish and measuring okay this fish of this species has to be 12 inches in order to be at least 300 grams stuff like that mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's a lot of work actually yeah you can't just you can't just show up and expect to just shoot anything and really do well you have to put in a lot of time and thought um that's just one example so, but yeah. So when you talk, <laughs> when you talk about um, going down that deep uh, and laying yeah. on the bottom, like how, how long are you talking? Um, well, that's a great question. <laughs> in, in warm waters, um, your dive can be anywhere from a minute and a half to two and a half minutes, depending on what you're doing and depending on your conditioning. And diet is a huge part of it. Water temperature is a huge part of it. And your resting heart rate and a few other things. Mm-hmm. So that's when sports nutrition comes into play. In the Mediterranean, I'm hoping my dives will be at least a minute and 30 seconds. At least. And that's where I would start. And I train in water where I currently work that is usually in the mid-40s. Fahrenheit. So, and I'm used to that. I'm very comfortable diving in 43 degree water for hours on end. It's no problem for me. So, when I'm going to Sardinia in the Mediterranean, I'm going to be roasting hot and I'm not sure I'm going to wear a wetsuit because um, I'm a cold water diver. Mm-hmm. And in warm water, it's so much easier to hold your breath and stay down longer. Interesting. So, I'm doing some, I'm doing some extreme training. So that when I get there, it's going to be a piece of cake. And that's like high altitude running. So you can just crush it at sea level. 
exactly so there's that so but um yeah but but even with uh those kind of depth springs lots of you know risk uh shallow water blackout is a huge uh, it's a huge danger for free divers it can lead to your death so and that's actually what kills most free divers and spear fishermen is shallow water blackout and in the free diving safety classes we train to be able to prevent that and use buddy diving to use resuscitation techniques to recognize it and help somebody so they don't drown uh, but one scary thing about worlds as far as cmos the international organization that runs these tournaments is that they're so concerned about cheating that they are assigning the federations, the rules state that you can only have one diver per boat. And that means I don't have a safety diver for this tournament. Hmm. So I have to weigh that in my head as far as personal responsibility and risk management. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness there are tools now, like there used to be the free diving recovery vest made by Dr. Terry Moss, California, where let's say you were down too long, the vest would inflate and rocket you to the surface as a means to help prevent drowning and free diving shallow water blackout. Mm -hmm. There are other products out there now that accomplish a similar, you know, end, like the Senso 7 vest. So it's something I'm considering using for personal safety because I will not have a safety diver. And no fish is worth your life. It's not. Mm -hmm. Uh, sorry but I, sorry it's a bit serious <laughs> no 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 it's fantastic um yeah i i had a question and then i got distracted and i lost my question <laughs> um, sorry I, uh, no 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 a it's great no i'm learning so much um and actually that was my question do you can you talk a little bit about what shallow water blackout is of course um this is where a free driver will lose consciousness on the way to the surface. And it's called shallow water blackout because it usually happens within the first, the top 40, or excuse me, the top 30 feet of the water column, usually within the last atmosphere of pressure. So without going into super nerdy, you know, gas physics laws and all that mm -hmm. stuff, basically when you are exercising or moving, you are burning oxygen, correct? Mm -hmm. So we're, as you're swimming down, you're burning oxygen. A funny thing happens when you dive deep is that the amount of oxygen molecules that we breathe in at the surface, when we go deeper, that oxygen is going to have what's called increased partial pressure. It's going to dissolve more into the bloodstream because of the increased pressure of depth, right? Okay. That means your brain thinks everything's fine. Mm -hmm. We're burning oxygen, but there's increased dissolved oxygen in your bloodstream, your brain says, everything's a-okay. Problem happens on the way up. And this is a super oversimplified way of explaining it, so bear with me. Okay. When you go back up, you're still burning oxygen. The partial pressure of oxygen has a deep, it rapidly decreases. So all of a sudden you're still burning more oxygen in your muscles but you have less available oxygen to maintain consciousness. 
boom, lights out right before you reach the surface. If you've burnt too much oxygen and not enough is in your bloodstream to keep the computer on your brain, you're going to black out. That's like the oversimplified way of explaining it. I'm sorry. No, it's perfect. But yeah. Great. The layman's way, um, the quick and dirty way. Mm -hmm. But, but that's, that's what the blackout is. And the scary part comes if you are overweighted and you black out before you reach the point in the water column where you are buoyant again, you will sink out. You will sink. And you're sinking unconsciousness. You're, you're, you're sinking and you're not awake. Mm. There is an agonal breath that your body will take. And unfortunately, that is the breath that kills you. Mm -hmm. Because you will have... You will, your body will try and breathe one last time as a last ditch resort. And unfortunately that breath will be water. Yeah. And that's what kills divers. So um, those are the things we think about <laughs> and try to try to prevent in our dive buddies as well as ourselves. And um, a, there's a lot of physical training that I recommend divers do to try and keep their bodies in good health good shape, great cardio to lessen those chances. Mm. But it can happen to anybody. In fact, in fact, I see it more actually in experienced freedivers than necessarily rookies. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So because people become overconfident about their skills. Mm. But the trick is to always remain humble, always be aware that that danger exists and that you should never think that it can't happen to you <laughs> and try and mitigate those risks as best as possible. Uh, Kelsey, you, you re like referencing all of that and talking about uh, shallow water blackout, uh, mm -hmm. even earlier, you talked about how free diving is, a, is high risk. How do you, whether you're in competition or not, how do you manage, like, do you, do you think about that when you're doing a drop on the way down? Like, how do you manage those, uh, I guess, thoughts or fears that may arise? Um, yeah, how do you do that? Super good question, actually, because now you're talking about psychology and mental commitment. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to get overwhelmed, you know, when you start hearing about the dangerous side of any sport and you can... Fear can be the screaming monkeys in your head telling you not to do something. Mm -hmm. And you can actually psych yourself out of doing something. So there's a mental placebo effect that you can fall victim to. So the way I personally manage it um, kind of plays into how I can ride a motorcycle in, in L.A. and not be worried. <laughs> like I, I split lanes in L.A., because it's legal there and I'll just <laughs> weave in and out of traffic and I I'll have a very low heart rate and I'm very relaxed even though what I'm doing would probably make some people lose their minds mm. because I feel like I feel like if I'm going to do something hold my breath dive down 30 meters or deeper I should be prepared before I even get in the water mentally and free diving is a lot like yoga in that it's 90% mental sometimes, sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
where you should really commit yourself to a lot of relaxation and just committing to the breath. I, that's just my way of saying it. Where, okay, I'm breathing up at the surface and I have to just relax my, my heart and my mind and my body to the point where, you know what, this might be my last breath. But if this is what God intended for me to do, mm-hmm. or the universe or whatever is out there, I'm not gonna let that be a concern of mine. As soon as I dip below the surface, I have a complete mental dump. It's out of my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like it goes into a nothing box. I can compartmentalize that fear, and get it out of the way. And that's one thing I love about free diving is that it really clears my mind sometimes because it requires so much mental focusing not to freak out not to fear you can't have those thoughts when you're diving down because it's it's like when you're riding a motorcycle if you think you're going to go down you're going to go down so it's it's like i don't know if you guys ride motorcycles but it's a similar mentality where if you're turning look into the turn don't look down at the road and don't think about going down. Look into the turn and pin the throttle. Just go mm-hmm. or send it. <laughs> As some people say, just send it. So, yeah, kind of like surfing. I think surfing kind of taught me a lot of similar mindset about how to manage mental fears. Mm-hmm. And that if you fight it and you, you don't know how to relax into the wave, of course you're going to get destroyed by the ocean. But if you learn to move with it and remove those thoughts from your head i think it's going to be a lot more enjoyable Mm. but anyway that's my method (laughs) does that i'm just this is this is a tangent a little bit but does that same mindset help you as an emt oh yeah 100 percent. oh definitely because there's so much noise around you like for example Oh God, I could tell you about so many different calls that I've ran, but one call in particular that kind of stands out as like a performance pressure moment, like all eyes are upon you, is I was working 911, which is emergency shifts out in San Bernardino, California. And that place is pretty notorious for high drugs, uh, high crime, murders it's just a wonderful learning environment for an emt or a medic um because you get you get to see a lot of stuff out there and i do mean some dark dark stuff and we ran this call where a dude was crossing what is it the 215 yeah i think it was yeah and he got hit by a car and when i mean hit i mean dude had every bone in his body broken skull fractures, face fractures, like you could, his legs look like zigzags and his arms look like zigzags. All these poor dude, it was just absolutely broken. And I'm of course in charge of putting him on the backboard and making sure I don't hurt him even more. And I mean, every car in Southern California was stopped on the freeway watching me. All of the fire departments watching me. All the police was watching me. The guy's family was watching me. And in that moment where a dude is like literally screaming in pain, there's blood everywhere and all kinds of unmentionable things. You just kind of have to block out 
you have to learn how to block out all these noise and stress factors in that moment. Remember all your training and just you got to dig deep for some self-confidence sometimes and just tell yourself, I got this. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do it well. We're going to get this guy out of here. He's going to be at the hospital in less than eight minutes. I got this. But if you freak out, everybody in the world's going to see. <laughs> I mean, everybody. So that's just one moment that I can think of where you kind of have to learn how to block out noise. And everybody has their own way of doing that. And uh, mine just comes from a mine comes from a deep place in my soul that is hard to put into words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's not not everybody can do that, and and um, you know, but I I will tell you that uh, riding a motorcycle or helping somebody in an emergency situation or doing something completely alone with no help you know, or hunting in the wilderness by yourself or doing some of the things I do, they all have a common thread for me. And it's usually testing myself, me against me in the end. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they all relate. Well, I'm just enthralled with this conversation. (laughs) I wish you could see my face. (laughs) Uh, We're going to, I feel that feels like a, a good spot to take a quick pause we're going to take a break to hear from our sibling podcast, NWF Outdoors. Um, their most recent podcast is about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge um, with the owner of Alpaca Rafts. I encourage everybody to check it out. We'll be right back. Sweet. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Okay, welcome back. Um, so before we transition to uh, our final question, which is hits and misses, Kelsey, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or uh, be sure to mention? Well, sure. I, I'm just really grateful to have the chance to speak with you ladies and share a little bit about myself with the world. Um, I would really, I really hope that um, my team does well at Worlds. Most importantly, I hope that we have a safe dive that's the number one important thing and represent our beautiful nation with pride and class and respect so that's that is team usa's goal is to wear the flag with pride represent it as best as we can because we're not only representing spearfishing we're representing our country and i'm truly grateful for all the people who have donated to our gofundme for the team um we haven't reached our goal yet so any and all support is appreciated we um tell us where we can find that well it's a gofundme link if you want i can send you the link to put on your podcast web page so that people can click on it make it just easy but um we appreciate all generous donations um especially because 
the men's team and the women's team do not share funding. Um, unfortunately, we are the only nation that I'm aware of where the men's team and the, and the women's team, we don't have help from the men. And we are, our federation just hasn't progressed in that way yet. Um, I see European teams where Team Spain will, for example, scout for the women, they'll help them, they collaborate, they share funding, they share all resources. Unfortunately, women spearfishing in the United States, we, it's kind of strange that we're not on par with that yet, even though we're a nation with such equality. Mm -hmm. So we do rely upon the generous donations of regular people, uh, sponsors, friends, family, anybody that just wants to see the Team USA do well at Worlds. And uh, hopefully one day we can make some positive changes for women to be more equal to men in spearfishing in the United States. We are definitely working on that, but it is a long road. Yeah. So. And this is, this is only the second time a women's team has been able to compete in the Worlds, is that correct? Sadly, yes. So yeah. there was a... There was a world's event back in 2004, but for some reason, I don't know why it wasn't recognized by CMOS, the world organization. It's still kind of confusing to me what, what happened there. But between 2004 and 2018, Team USA never sent a women's team. And what's even stranger is a lot of other nations didn't either. Like they never made they never made any outreach to support women in the sport as having their own categories, their own competition fields. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's 2021. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> it just seems so backwards to think of that, right? But mm -hmm. it's still a very male-dominated sport, and it's very tough for women to actually, you know, succeed in. It really is. Mm -hmm. um, but we, the, the brutal fact is women were not even allowed to be on men's teams for many years. Hmm. For example, it didn't matter where I qualified at nationals. If I were to be on a team, there would be other nations protesting me being on the team just because I'm a woman, because they think that I'm just a placeholder to just be a, a padded stringer for the guys to just shoot, you know, my stringer and theirs and just, you know what I mean? It's wow. literally... Yeah, that's literally the crap we've faced. And so behind the scenes, I have had to be that strong woman who, you know what, I speak my mind and I stand up for what's right. And that often means that not everybody's going to like me mm -hmm. because I don't take crap. And I point out stuff that's not fair. And you know how that goes if you're a woman who does that you know exactly the story that yep. entails. <laughs> so, and that's fine. I don't need to be everybody's friend. I don't need to have, you know, they're not on my Christmas list. It's okay. I don't, it doesn't bother me. I do not lose sleep over it. But so you got to have thick skin. And if you really want something, you, you'll stop but nothing to to achieve your dreams. And I think a lot of women are chased out of sports. They're chased out of professions because they meet so much resistance. Mm -hmm. But our team is doing really well in the face of all that. And believe me, we have had some trouble this year, <laughs> mm. but we're doing great. We're doing awesome, actually. We're, mm -hmm. We are 
we're seeing the opportunity where others have tried to remove the opportunity. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, well, you don't want to share funding with us? Watch what we do. Yep. So I encourage all women, if you run into barriers like that in your life, think outside of the box. There is something you can turn a bad situation into the best opportunity that ever came to you. If you, if you go through life with that mindset, you'll get what you want in life. hundred percent. Beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Um, can, where's the, where can we follow the team? Do you guys, you're on Instagram. Is that right? We are, we have a USA women's spearfishing team, Instagram, which is public. Anybody can follow us. We have a Facebook page um, for many years. Uh, it was just the men's team and they kind of barely mentioned us. So we decided to do our own thing and <laughs> create I'm and manage a theme here. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a man hater. I have a loving husband who is just amazing to me. But, you know, I, you just can't, women, if you want something, you just, you just can't always rely upon a man to do it for you. Just go get it. There's nothing stopping you. So we're like, you know, this is, this is something we can do on our own and it's fine. So we did that and we have a great page it shows all of our athletes doing fun and amazing stuff. And it's, um, you get to see a little bit of our training, some of the fish we like to shoot, cool. some of our preparation, some of the people we support, which is great. We support other women in the sport who are competitors who know exactly the hard work it takes. And our Facebook page, even though it's new, it is also public. You can find us very easily. And we do try to interact as much as possible. And our GoFundMe link is also on our Instagram and Facebook. Very cool. And we will link to all of that in our show notes. Um, Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. (laughs) Brianne, did you have any uh, questions, last questions before we go to hits and misses? Oh, okay. Well, I I do have a question and it's one that I've been thinking of. Um, So I I mentioned earlier that, so I grew up diving, spearfishing. I just grew up following behind my dad and my uncles and watching them. And only within this uh, past year, I've gotten to be back at home um, and have such a love for the ocean that mm. such a love for the ocean that I, I don't know, it, it just didn't happen um, until now. I, I was raised more as a, a hunter on land. Um, and just hearing you talk about the challenges that you faced, um, still face um, in the world of uh, spearfishing, I would just ask, what is your advice to young women out there or all women out there who are interested in getting in the water, um, but have a really difficult time finding support um, in doing that? Okay, that is an awesome question. And I love hearing about your personal relationship with the ocean. But, and for you in particular, I just want you to remember that everybody has their own timing of when they're supposed to be put into something in life. Mm -hmm. The the universe does not make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be there when 
when it's right for you. And I think that for women who are just starting out, whether you're young or old, um, and especially to the older gals who think that, oh, I'm too old to do this. I have a great, I have a great um, fact for you that we have this not, we have this misconception that only young people should get into sports, but actually the demographic that is setting the most free diving records right now, not, not spearfishing, but I'm talking just breath hold, whether it's depth or extreme conditions is actually postmenopausal women. So actually you are not ever too old to get into free diving. And there is a different athletic prime that women have that medicine is just starting to learn about. And medicine still can't explain why it is that postmenopausal women are kicking ass, excuse my language, yeah. <laughs> at, free, at free diving right now. But that's awesome. Like, for, mm-hmm. I'm serious. I, you know, there's, there's no age limit to spearfishing. And actually, some of the masters in Italy that I think are going to kick everybody's butts are over the age of 50. And I've noticed something about the women that comprise a lot of these teams in Europe and that a lot of them are over the age of 35. There's a couple of young ones, but, but I'm noticing that time, time has really shaped the hunters and they're not always 25 year old girls. Mm. So I wanted to speak to all age groups on that because I think that a lot of women think that they can't do it just because of their age or their weight. And believe me, weight has nothing to do with it either. I know, I know free divers and spear fishermen of all body types. And it's, you know, that has nothing to do with it either. But if you want to use it as a way to increase your fitness, free diving will, will definitely help. Young girls, though, in particular, I would love to give you some brutal advice. And this is just my opinion. You can take it or leave it. But I see a trend in it since social media has come to dominate our perceptions about the world and sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I will tell young girls this in particular. If you're serious about getting into a sport, especially spearfishing, a male-dominated sport, I advise everybody to do it with class and a bit of modesty you will get a lot of attention right away if you hold the spear gun between your, your breasts and wear thongs and take photographs of your behind. You're going to get a whole lot of attention. You're going to get a lot of sponsors approach you. Mm. But if you want, and, and things will happen very fast for you, if you want to use your body to attract attention to you in order to get support. But the kind of support you're looking for if you're truly interested in like a long-term stable foundation of respect for you as an athlete, you won't necessarily be the most famous diver in terms of social media likes, but who cares about that? Mm. If you want people to really respect you and your image and who you are as an athlete, be modest. Mm. And what I mean by that is 
put yourself out there in tasteful ways. And I, I know that sex sells, I get it, but it's not necessarily the best reputation you want in the long run. Mm. So I do, I do caution young girls to avoid that trap of mm -hmm. the glitz and glam limelight that that does provide. Mm -hmm. So, and not everybody agrees with me, but you know, if women are to really be taken seriously as professional hunters, professional fishers, if all of the world expects women to be taking their clothes off all the time and behaving in lewd ways, mm -hmm. then these athletes are not getting attention for their stats, their sports stats, your actual performance. They're getting attention for their body and nothing else. And mm -hmm. I don't think, some don't agree with me, but I do think it's damaging to women. Mm -hmm. I don't think it necessarily promotes, you know, it doesn't promote us for the right reasons. You know, but sadly, media focuses on that so very much. And for other girls who maybe don't necessarily have what they view as perfect bodies or whatever, mm. they'll be less inclined to even try the sport because they think, oh, you know, they get they get these self-conscious demons on their back and then they're less likely to even try. Mm -hmm. And that's that's not fun for women either. We should be encouraging women of all ages and all body types to pursue something that could be a very enriching activity yeah. so self-esteem can be a huge like challenge for young women and basically you have to have your own self-esteem if you always compare yourself to other divers you know prettier girls or whatever your your anxieties are based on you won't really go that far in the sport but the best support you can have is yourself. Yeah, I, all young girls, all girls need to know this, that the, the best support and the support you need to start with is your own self-confidence, your own self-worth and your own abilities mm -hmm. to pick up a book and research this information for yourself first and foremost, trust yourself mm -hmm. and then build your support network from that self-confidence that you bring to the table first. Don't rely upon others to define your self-confidence as a young hunter. Mm. And definitely surround yourself with people who, you know, who have the values that you want to have in the sport. If you want to be a selective hunter, surround mm. yourself only with selective hunters. If you surround yourself with people who just do it for the gram, that is what you're going to become. Mm -hmm. So that old saying that you are you are the average of your five best friends or any permutation of that ex expression. It's really true. You are who you surround yourself with. So, you know, choose wisely is all I got to say. And, you know, it's, and the other part of that is holding good standards in a sport or profession can often be a lonely path. You won't necessarily be the diver who has 1 million likes, but you'll be happy. <laughs> That's the bottom line. So, and then, you know, likes and fame has nothing to do with diver talent or hunting talent or hunting ethics. 
that starts in yourself first. And it's not defined by internet strangers, not at all. <laughs> so if a young girl can have the patience <laughs> and the attention span to understand that message, um, then they're starting with a good canvas to seek a good mentor. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have multiple mentors. Choose the best from lots of people you meet in life and travel. For God's sakes, if you're not married, don't have kids yet, or even <laughs> if you do, travel as much as you can and see the world because it's going to give you an education and support system that you don't, you won't necessarily find at home. Mm -hmm. And you'll, you'll learn beautiful things about hunting in other parts of the world that'll not only make yourself a better hunter, it also make you love just our great nation as it is. Like the more I travel, the more I love my country. Hmm. Going other places and, and, and having different friends, friend groups and mentorship along the way has taught me so much love for my country. It makes me really appreciate being an American. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, that's a lot for a young girl to chew on, but. No, I, you know. I'm like sitting here and like, I'm sitting here in just tears just because he just spoke right to my heart. And oh, I appreciate you so much, Kelsey. I feel like you're, you're just like such a big sister. You're, you're like the <laughs> oldest sister I never had. And just sitting in tears because everything you said is something that is so valuable to me. And I know it's valuable to other um, women out there. So thank you. I'm happy you appreciate it. Can I say one more thing about mentorship? Please. Is it okay? Yeah. Okay, so, so here's, here's just a bit about me. I am in a position in my sport and my career now where I am starting to mentor people younger than me. And not ready for that torch yet, but I have it <laughs> in my hand. So I'm, I'm apparently the old salty mermaid now. So here I am. <laughs> I just have accepted where I am. Um, and I've earned every wrinkle and gray hair on me. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I mean, hey. Mentorship is a special, it should be a special thing between student and master. That's a horrible way to put it, but you guys get what I'm saying. Mentorship isn't just someone who gives you advice. Mentorship is a two-way learning street because I've been approached by many young new divers about mentorship. And I have a lot of people approach me all the time and I can't speak to all of them. I <laughs> I simply don't have the time and it's unfortunate, but, you know, I'm very selective about who I mentor because if I'm going to mentor somebody, I'm going to give it my 200%. I'm not just going to be uh, dabble in it. No, I'm, that is a committed friendship mm -hmm. if I decide to mentor somebody, but it has to be the same way in their eyes too, the student or the mentee. I don't know if that's the word. But if, if they're coming to me, if someone's coming to me and they ask for mentorship, please understand the responsibility that you're asking. Because not only am I caring about the safety of the information I'm giving you, I care about your life. And it's going to be, whether they realize it or not, 
I'm going to be concerned for that person. The things I teach them, is it the right thing? Is it the safe thing to do? And so that's why I'm very selective about who I mentor. So young girls who are seeking support, be a good student. Mm -hmm. If you're asking somebody for help, show appreciation and don't use people. I have a lot of people asking me all this stuff and I'm like, okay, slow down. Mm -hmm. You've been diving six months and you're asking me about world records. Mm -hmm. Please learn to shoot fish accurately first. If you're asking me about world records and the fish I see you shoot have belly shots and I can tell you're sloppy about your marksmanship, that means you're putting the cart in front of the horse and you're going to be a hard student for me to work with. Mm. And I have a lot of people ask me for all kinds of information all the time, but they're not interested in a friendship. They're just interested in my hard-earned work mm. and the knowledge I spent years gathering. And they're asking for shortcuts. Mm. I've had a lot of, unfortunately, I've had a lot of new female divers approach me that way and they get burnt when I shut them down. I'm like, you know, I can't accept, I can't, I can't teach you. <laughs> and it sucks having to say no to somebody. But if I, if I get the impression that somebody's just using me and not wanting to put in the hard work, I can't work with that. And that's yeah. just a brutal, honest thing. That's a, that's a beautiful reminder though, because there is a lot of talk on mentorship, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but very rarely is it approached in the, in the very beautiful and important way that you just presented it? It's a serious undertaking and it's a, it's a, it's a deep relationship where we're sharing yes. um, a lot of who we are um, and, and passing on some of the information and knowledge that you said is not just hard earned, but, but central to how we approach mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate well, that reminder ladies, and that focus. I'm glad you ladies understand that mentorship is also a huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I, and as a, as a healthcare professional, it's very heavy on my mind. If I give somebody advice, I'm responsible for them, you know, mm -hmm. and that has a big weight for me in my head. So I can't undertake that relationship unless I know the student's going to be responsible with that information. Mm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of users out there that just want shortcuts. Mm. But um, that's the world we live in. The best we can do is try and sift through all the sand to find the gems and, and focus on quality mentorship with those people. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I'm sorry if some of my ways of expressing that are a bit blunt but it's just the honest truth I feel in my heart so thank you ladies for understanding that yeah yeah, yeah. Kelsey thank you for a conversation and I always mention at the beginning that we're just going to go where it takes us and it took us to some mm -hmm. really unexpected but really valuable places um so thank cool. you <laughs> yeah no worries. and if you ladies ever want to hunt or fish or dive um, and you want to connect, you know, outside of social media to try and make a trip like that happen one day. Um, I'm happy to give you direction. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. I feel like this is a, the, again, it was a wonderful conversation and now I'm transitioning to something that's a little bit um, more routine and I'm happy, I find I'm uh, a little reluctant to do that because 
but we're going to do it. <laughs> um, and we're going to go ahead and transition to our hits and misses. It's our weekly closer. Oh. And the question okay. is, yeah, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? Um, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Brianne, why don't you go first? What have you been aiming for and how did it go? Oh, okay. I, I was not expecting to get Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. What have I been aiming for? I think what I've been aiming for is being present in the moments that I have. Um, I feel like it's it's really easy these days to kind of go to another place with your mind and not be where you are. Um, so that's what I've been aiming for is being present with my family. I'm here. Um, I've been here for over a year and I just don't want to lose that gratitude I have to be able to be with my family and be able to be home um, at a place where it's just I have such a sense of belonging um, and love uh, for everything here. So being present. It's beautiful. And that actually, are you, um, what, are you going back to school in the fall in person? No, I'm not. I'm actually in December. I walk for my in-person <gasps> graduation with my, my family is going to come with me and that I'm just, I, I'm so excited. I'm so close to finishing undergrad, but um, nice. yeah, it was, I had to, this past year, um, just the past years of just doing undergrad, I just had to wrestle a lot, mostly with myself. Um, and I'm just, just thinking of just the, the sacrifices that were made um, for my family, the family members I haven't even met um, on this earth, just knowing that I'm gonna be the one to, to graduate from college, a four-year university, oh, the, the first grandchild to do that, that's so special. It's awesome. That's Huge fabulous. congrats on that. Yeah. Thank you. Huge congrats. I hate to give you some salty reality though, but those were the best years of your life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just joking, kinda. kinda. Just, yeah, haha, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, I thought, dude, I thought undergrad was so hard and then, and you, and then, the, yeah. dude, and then the real world really gives you a kicker and you're like, oh dude, if I could look, if I could tell my undergrad self that actually that was a cakewalk, I would, but I can't. <laughs> Congrats, though. That's really cool. Really <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, Kelsey, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? Oh, um, so actually related to Team USA. Um, so everything worthwhile doing is going to be really hard, apparently. <laughs> I, I have been aiming related to this whole conversation to build a stronger support system for women in competition spearfishing around the world. So um, not only for my national team, but any other future woman who wants to compete for their nations. So one of the projects I started in 2018 was after Worlds in Portugal and speaking with all these women from different countries, my, my, my mind was blown and my eyes were just so opened about challenges that women and other nations face. So I created an online support network to help net bring all these women 
together to share ideas, strategies about overcoming challenges, and just promoting their interests because they may not necessarily receive a lot of support within their own nations. But I wanted the women to know that they have a global support network um, and a just connectivity. And that has been a recurring theme in my you know, position in spearfishing is I try to promote the interest of women in the sport and give them support in some way. I do focus on competition. For my team, I've been trying to build a stronger team USA for women's. I am currently working with my federation to make that easier for the years to come, more organized, more structured, and also to lay the groundwork for um, better treatment of women in the sport within our own nation and internationally. So can't give all the details away on that, but I haven't reached my goal yet, but I am definitely working on it. And it's something I'm passionate about. If you walk down the street in any town, nobody really cares about spearfishing, but if it's just one little goal that I can reach and then use those lessons to approach bigger problems in the world, I'll take it. So mm -hmm. wish me luck. I'm not there yet, yeah. but I'm working on it. Well, good luck. And when you are Thanks. there, let us know how we can support. Great. Very cool. Um, yeah, I don't, I think I don't necessarily have a, a hit or a miss for this week, but it's definitely sort of an in-progress effort. Um, things have just gotten really busy um, and have been really busy for the last two months. And, and, uh, and as I'm sure you both know, like just being busy and, and how we mm. prioritize, how we spend our time mm. and how interestingly, the first things that usually get taken off of the list are the self-care things like oh, yeah. sleep or um, exercise or mm -hmm. Um, food that's not takeout or, you know, it's like all of these shortcuts that, that we can cut out of our daily routine in order to increase our productivity. Right. Um, and I'm really actively trying to work against that um, because in some ways it's, it's a false reality, right? Like when you're tired and you're not eating well and you haven't exercised in a week, you're not at your most productive and you're not at your at the top of your game, um, even though we think those things are um, cuttable, which is the word that I have on this Friday. <laughs> That's even though <laughs> no, it works, we understand. <laughs> okay, we totally um, do. Yeah, in the long run, they're not, um, and I'm really trying to to keep that understanding at the forefront of my mind um, as I juggle um, busyness and multiple responsibilities and the demands of the day. So it's a work in progress, neither hit nor miss. It just is. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Well, ladies, I hope you have a good night. It's, yeah. uh, it's pretty late here in the Arctic Circle, but yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful to speak with you today. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, I, I look forward to following um, your journey and the competition at Worlds. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And we're going to give it hell. <laughs> yes. I love it. We're going to give it hell. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to that. 
Yeah. Uh, Brianne, thanks for joining us, co-host. It was great having you. Oh, it was an honor. Thank you so much to the two of you. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Bye.